His wife was dying, and life was bleak. In his moment of despair, the Lord took him to Exodus 14 on an airplane, reminding him that the same God who led him into his hardship would also guide him out. I'm talking about author and pastor Robert Morgan in Nashville. After this spiritual epiphany, he had many years in which to write this now best-selling book, The Red Sea Rules. I'm Charles Morris, and this is The Great Stories Podcast. And in a moment, you're going to hear Rob Morgan share his story and the stories of many others who've been carried through hard times by God's grace and by clinging to the truths that are found in Exodus 14. I spent some time with Rob at his home in Nashville a few weeks ago, and I want to share that conversation with you in just a moment. But first, I want you to listen in to a quick follow-up call we had shortly after Hurricane Ian struck Florida's west coast. Well, Charles, it was a hurricane that really sent the Red Sea rules into um, widespread circulation. Uh, Hurricanes are absolutely devastating things. In fact, I've got a friend who had a beautiful home on Sanibel Island, and Hurricane Ian, I just found out today, uh, sent a wall of water through the whole first floor, uh, damaged the structure, and it may be two or three years before he can get back into that house. And of course, we all remember Hurricane Katrina and the devastation that that wrought uh, along the entire Gulf Coast. Well, uh, the Red Sea rules came out right before Hurricane Katrina hit, and it enjoyed some uh, popularity. But here's the thing. My wife's name was Katrina. Now, we kidded her a lot after the hurricane. We said, well, the hurricane was named for you. It was aptly named. And she would say, well, my name was never so called as it was during the hurricane. And uh, we would have a laugh about it. But, of course, there was no laughing matter about Hurricane Katrina. But in the opening of the Red Sea Rules, I dedicated the book to Katrina. And so when you open the book, the first thing you saw were those two words, to Katrina. And people assumed that this book was written uh, for the victims of Hurricane Katrina. And they began buying it by the caseload and giving it out. And really, that is what launched this book. And I think that whatever the ill winds are that we're facing, um, you know, the uh, Israelites experienced the same kind of difficulty but the Lord led them through the middle of it. Um, in fact, he parted the waters for them. He made a way for them. And whether it's the hurricanes or whether it's something else that strikes our lives, God will always make a way. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now you're going to hear more from Robert Morgan. But first, I'd like also to remind you how you can get the Red Sea Rules book from us at haventoday.org as our thanks for your gift to the ministry. I couldn't recommend it more for anyone facing their own struggles in life. In fact, I have a friend who buys them by the caseload and gives them out to everyone who needs it. And now, without further ado, let's get started. A little strange for Haven Today, I'm Charles Morris in Nashville. Robert Morgan, you're a well-known author, first time you've ever been on this program. 
I think this is the first studio I've ever been in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here. This is the first time we've ever used this studio. <laughs> this used to be a closet and an apartment that we rented out. And uh, when my renter left, we decided to take this room over and we've made this studio. And this is the inaugural debut well, in, this, in this little closet-sized studio. And I'm very proud that it's with you. Oh, thank you so much. And you grew up with the Haven of Rest, uh, which was started in a studio in Hollywood, California, and not Nashville, Tennessee. I'm very familiar with the show and very grateful for the work that's been done now all through these years. Well, we have offered as a resource, a ministry resource, some of your works before. But a friend of mine who was going through a really hard time could have lost his business. Another friend of his gave him a copy of a book that you had written, who then told me, and I got a copy. Isn't it amazing how the Lord works in these yes. things? And I thought, well, I'm going to be in Nashville soon. I need to stop in and for the first time meet Robert Morgan or Rob Morgan, pastor for many decades at the Donaldson Fellowship Church near Opryland, in fact. And uh, you wrote this book called The Red Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Difficult Times. The same God who led you in will lead you out. That's a great line. That book came out of a personal experience of mine. I'd been in Israel leading a tour, mm -hmm. and I was on the way back. We had spent a day or two in Athens. And when we left Athens on the plane, no one was sitting beside me. It was very early in the morning, and I hadn't had my morning devotions yet mm -hmm. since I was 19. I've been starting every day with the Bible study and prayer. But that was a very early flight. So as soon as we took off, I opened my Bible, and at my reading for that day was Exodus 14. I'd been reading through the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. I also had a very deep burden on my heart. It was just a very anxious situation that I was coming back home to. And as I read Exodus 14 about God parting the waters and saving the Israelites from the Egyptians, it's as though the Lord sat down and said, now I want to show you some things about this. And I began writing, and I couldn't write fast enough to write down the insights that came. So out of that, then, I came back and I preached a series of sermons called God Will Make a Way. And Isn't out that, of that how it always works? Yes, God out of that series of sermons. teaches you something, and, and then it turns into a sermon series if you're a pastor. It's got to be that way. It's yes. got to be that way. We preach from the overflow. We teach and we write from the overflow. I never go into the Bible looking for sermons. I just the Lord say, Lord, leads speak to us, me. And he does, I doesn't know. he? Yes. Speak to me. I, yes. need, I need that word from him. And then when it comes, I just want to share it with other people. And that's how sermons and books and lessons, everything else develops. Wow. So you're on this plane, you're headed back, and you couldn't stop writing. What were you learning that you could apply to your own life from that crossing of the Red Sea? Well, the Israelites, they were in an impossible place. And the very first verse of Exodus 14 said, The Lord told Moses, Go back and turn around here and camp by Migdal by the sea opposite Bel Zephon. This is where you should be. 
And that verse just spoke to me. You wouldn't believe how that spoke to me. Rob, that verse is not underlined in my Bible. (laughs) It's not highlighted. I know if somebody called you in the middle of the night asking you a verse of encouragement, you probably wouldn't give them that one. (laughs) But what that said to me was the Lord deliberately led the Israelites into a place where their options were impossible and they were facing annihilation. And sometimes we can be in the middle of the Lord's will and Even then, we have impossible situations that bring us great anxiety and hardship, but the Lord knows what he's going to do. Mm -hmm. So we have to trust him and see. So beginning with that first verse, the chapter just unfolded unusually for me. Mm, Wow. And that is such a profound chapter because uh, many times some of us don't read ourselves into the text But if there's one place in the Bible, especially of the Old Testament, where you can read yourself into the text, it's Exodus 14. And that's what you were doing early that morning. You were probably a little foggy. I've gotten up on some of those early flights back to North America from the Middle East. But it was more than just that one verse that struck you. It kept on speaking to you as you read more. Yes, the whole chapter is so rich, and the principles that are there are pretty self-evident when you see them. For example, the Israelites were terrified that the Egyptians were coming, and they could see those Egyptians. They could see the clouds of dust. They could see the sunlight gleaming Mm -hmm. on the spears and on the armor. Maybe they could hear the thunder of the chariots coming towards them, knowing that they were going to be annihilated. But they had to keep their eyes on the Lord. You have to acknowledge your enemy, but you have to keep your eyes on the Lord. Too many times we acknowledge the Lord, but we keep our eyes on the enemy or on the problem or on whatever it is that's causing us the distress. But those Israelites, they had to acknowledge that here comes Pharaoh, but their eyes were on the Lord. Mm. That word picture you painted You could write books, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then the Lord said to Moses, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Mm -hmm. Lord. And Mm -hmm. there are times when the best thing we can do is stand still to see what God is going to do. Wait on the Lord. We don't have to make it happen, do we? I try to make it happen, Rob. I'm so guilty of that. And I never can make it happen out of my own strength. Because in my weakness, that's where I find my strength in him. Well, that's true. Ruth Bell Graham said that we cannot do the impossible. That's God's department. We, mm. can, do the, the, we mm. can do the possible. We can do what we can do. But we have to leave the impossible with him. And, I, you know, sometimes that's what the Israelites had to do. And sometimes that's very much what I have to do as well. It's, it's a very interesting book because it's small. And I opened it up and I realized it was thick, even though it was small. These 10 God-given strategies for difficult times, pick one or two. You know, you said a minute ago that you were going through a hard time in your life when you wrote this. Do you mind sharing with us what that hard time was that you were going through? There were two or three things happening at once. There were some problems with the pressures of my work Mm -hmm. and with my pastorate and being in Israel had been a respite from that, but now I was going back to it. And then there were family issues that were weighing heavily upon me. And 
there are so many times when I'm prone to panic. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I have anxiety issues, and mm-hmm. and I can have a panic attack with the best of them. And so the combination of various factors and my wife, you know, was being diagnosed at that time with multiple sclerosis. Mm. So all in all, it was a a very difficult time. And I wasn't facing annihilation like the Israelites were, but I think I had something of the panic and the fear that they had. They were trapped between the devil and the deep red sea. And sometimes we find ourselves there too. Now, sometimes it's our own fault. We do something foolish. We bring it on ourselves. We bring it on ourselves. But other times we are doing the best we can and we find these problems coming at us. But in any case, the moment that we recognize that when we give it over to the Lord totally, he can route us correctly, Hmm. then we begin to come out of the darkness. We begin to trust him and find that he's going to lead us. And Charles, he leads us step by step. Hmm. One of the principles in the book is take the next logical step by faith. Hmm. The Israelites had to go towards that Red Sea. And they took that step they had before to take, the waters parted, didn't they? Yes, and they couldn't have imagined what would happen, but the Lord said, go. And they just went. They could only go as far as they could go. They couldn't go very far, in fact, but they went as far as they could. They took every step, one after another, step by step, moment by moment. And when the time came, the Lord parted the waters, and I would love to have seen it. I can imagine it. You know, the walls of water, like congealed glass walls shimmering, must have been 40, 50, 100 feet over their heads. They went through it with those walls on either side. Words can't even describe what it would have been like, and the and the land was dry. The seabed was dry. Yes, the wind had dried it. it out. The wind, wow. the, the wind of God, very quickly came, dried it out, and they went through on dry ground, dry shod, with those mm. congealed walls of water on either side, as far up as they could see. And Charles, it was at night time. It was at midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock in the night, but the presence of the Lord was there casting a light that made it look like broad daylight to them. Now, with the Egyptians, it was utter blackness, Mm. but the Lord was between them and the Egyptians, Mm -hmm. and on their side, it was like a football field lit up at night as they went uh, through that, through those uh, walls of water to the other side, and the Lord has his own way of resolving things. Mm. Now, who would have thought Jesus, when he wanted to go across the lake, walked on the water? Mm-hmm. He could have given mm-hmm. the Israelites the ability to walk on the water across to the other side, mm-hmm. uh, or he could have sent boats or angels with pontoon bridges or something, but this was the way he wanted to do it. So you have to trust God to deliver in his own unique way. And that's one of the Red Sea rules. Mm. Trust God to deliver in his own unique way. And Rob, I should mention, you're describing these as rules, but you're not giving me a Dale Carnegie course on if you'll just follow these simple steps and do it on your own, then you're going to make it through and you're going to be highly successful, wealthy, wise, whatever. That's not what you mean by these 10 rules, these 10 strategies. 
out of a single chapter of God's Word, is it? We can see the patterns of how God works and the stories that He gives us. Mm -hmm. So when we study any Bible story, we should say, what are the patterns here? What is God doing? How is He doing it? How can I apply this to my own life? Mm -hmm. And we can do that almost anywhere, you know, with the miracles of Jesus, when the, the disciples were on that boat in the, in the Sea of Galilee, and they were, man, here came Jesus. And when you read that, you can find principles out of that that apply to you. When Jesus said, do not be afraid, take courage, it is I, mm -hmm. then those words might as well have been spoken to you or me when we're in some kind of storm. We can take those Bible verses, put our names in them, and if we exegete them correctly and read things in context, then we find principles there that we can apply to ourselves. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians that those things in the Old Testament, the stories were written as examples mm -hmm. for us to show us how mm -hmm. to live. Mm -hmm. And you and I are both digging deep into Philippians right now. Do not be anxious, you know, about anything. You know, we don't have to be, do we? No. And that wonderful passage in Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is the greatest antidote for anxiety in the Bible. I think there are three passages in the mm -hmm. Bible that really focus on anxiety. There's Psalm 37, fret not. There's Jesus's words in Matthew 6, do not worry. And then there is rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it, say again. it again, rejoice. rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to, to all. all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, and you know the passage, so this is what we have to learn over and over again. This is what the Israelites really were learning at the Red Sea. You can either panic or you can trust the Lord and let him bring you through to praise. Those are our two choices so often as we go through life. So as that chapter continues to unfold, by the way, Rob has wrote this book a number of years ago, but he's doing all of this off the cuff, no notes, nothing. What's another one of these Rules. Well, let me jump to the end. Okay. Uh, the last one is don't forget to praise him because mm. when they got to the other side and those walls of water came crashing down on the Egyptians mm -hmm. and the Israelites realized they were free and liberated for the first time and there was no going back to Egypt because when the water fell, when the walls of water collapsed, then then they couldn't turn around and go back to Egypt. They could only go forward, but they were going forward without the pursuing Egyptians. And they burst into song. And so Exodus chapter 15 says, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider fell into the sea, and Miriam took her tambourine, and he, she, started she started her hymn, her dancing her and singing. Yes. That is the first recorded hymn. In, in the all Bible. the Bible. It's the first of any of our biblical Jewish or Christian hymns. It all goes back to those first recorded words in Exodus 15. And, you know, I love hymnody. And mm. I've written I've, three I've volumes on before. hymn stories. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Including I, the Haven of Rest yes. theme song, I've anchored yes, my soul on the, the Haven, Haven of, of rest. rest. I love that song. <laughs> but it all goes back to Exodus 15. That is the first recorded mm. hymn. Now, I'm sure that people sang to the Lord before then, right. but this is the one that was chosen as the Bible's first recorded hymn, mm. is mm. in Exodus 15, the song of deliverance, mm -hmm. the song of Moses and Miriam, and they're 
great spontaneous celebration when they realized they were liberated the next morning and they were ready to go towards the promised land. Mm. Somebody who was a member of the Haven of Rest Quartet for a number of years, for a lot of years, and I knew before he went home to be with the Lord, said to me once, Ten people walk down the street. Nine have a broken heart. And you just don't know the story about the tenth one. Mm -hmm. And um, as we're talking about this and our need for abundant grace in our lives every day, more grace, more power, more Jesus every day, how do you think we should look at this chapter, which you spent a lot of time, a plane ride, but then you got home and you wrote a book about it, too? How do you think all of us should look at a chapter like this and find more Christ, more grace in our lives today? Well, Jesus was there. He was literally there. The angel of the Lord was God the Son. And so he was there leading the Israelites. I mean, it's very clear that in the Old Testament, Jesus would appear at various times in various ways before his incarnation in Bethlehem. Mm -hmm. There was God the Father in heaven, but there would be a God figure on earth and often called the angel of the Lord. Yes. And it was God the Son. And so he was the one who was there leading the Israelites. And the brightness of his glory mm. shown. You know, Jesus radiates light. When we see him in the book of Revelation, it's blinding. When Paul saw him on the road to Damascus, it blinded him. When the disciples saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was like the sun, they said, shining and his body shining through his clothes and everything was, was brilliant and illuminated. So the light coming from Jesus cast these tremendous rays upon the ocean, upon the sea, let them go through. And the same Jesus does the same to us. Uh, we are to walk in the light. Mm-hmm. You know, the theme of John's gospel is, I am the light. And the theme of First John is walk in the light. So it's as though the apostle John said, since Jesus is the light of the world, let me tell you how to walk in the light. And that's what the Israelites literally were doing as they crossed through the Red Sea. May that be an encouragement. I think, Rob Morgan, you have drawn from a number of preaching series in these last few minutes that you have preached through the years, and you've blessed me, and I know you've blessed everybody else. Let's talk about Red Sea rule or strategy number seven, envision God's enveloping presence. The Israelites were in the presence of God in a very unique way. It was the visible, manifested, earthly presence of God the Son, and His light was beaming on them with such intensity that it was as though it were at noontime, even though it was at midnight. And we have the same presence of God with us. He will never leave us, never forsake us. And as Brother Lawrence said so long ago, learning to practice the presence of God is a chief duty of the Christian. And to know that as small as this little studio is and that we're in, the Lord, there's three of us here. The Lord is here. Uh, Just like the fourth man with the uh, three Hebrew children, that Jesus is with us by the Holy Spirit just as truly as he was with the disciples in person, that 
the nearness of our God is our good, as we read in Psalm 78, that we can draw near to God and he will draw near to us, as James tells us, is a great joy. The Israelites experienced that, and it should be our constant experience as well. Why do so many of us as believers today, maybe this has always been the case, Rob, but why do so many of us the more, and I'm going to put in quotation marks, mature we grow in our faith, the less we see the light or think we need the light. Now, obviously, when trouble comes, then, you know, all bets are off, you know, things change. But why do you think we don't really experience the light that Christ offers to us? We don't seek it more. I was taught when I was 19 years old to never begin the day without my prayer and Bible study time. Mm -hmm. That was just drilled into me at Columbia International University and by my mentors. I remember, do you, I'm sure you remember Stephen Olford. Mm -hmm. He came to college one day and preached and I was enthralled and I went up to him and I said, Dr. Olford, do you have any suggestions for a young man who wants to, to be a minister? He said, never, never, never forget your quiet time. Mm. And he turned and walked away. That's that, all he said. That was but all that's, he thought you needed. Yeah, well, it is, and, it's, and, yeah, I, and, I, and, yeah. I, and I've never forgotten it. So coming into the presence of God in prayer and Bible study daily is an anchor to our cultivating the sense of God's presence all day long. Mm. And to me, that's been the most important habit in my life. And my wife was the same, Katrina, when she was alive. She would we'd get up in the morning and she'd go to her desk. She rolled her wheelchair up to a desk that we had for in the bedroom. I went to my desk and we both had our, our morning quiet times is what we called it. Mm. And that's been the most important habit in my life from the time I was 19 until now I'm 70. Mm. And uh, I, I really recommend that to people. It takes some cultivating, but there is nothing like opening your Bible and knowing the Lord is there and just mm. listening to him in scripture and speaking to him in prayer. Mm. Rob Morgan, let's talk about rule number two. You want to, yeah, be what more, is rule number two? Be more concerned about God's glory than for your own relief. The Lord said to the Israelites, I have put you in this impossible place to bring glory to myself, to bring glory to myself over Pharaoh and just to bring glory to myself. The Lord intended to be glorified through this. He wanted the nations around to know that he was Yahweh, he was God, mm -hmm. that there was none other. He wanted to be glorified in the eyes of the Israelites. He was going to do something that would bring glory to himself. So what we have to remember when we go through a difficult time is that we shouldn't ask, as we are prone to, how did I get into this mess and how can I get out? We should learn to say, how can God be glorified in this experience? Mm. And once you learn to ask the one question rather than the other, it changes your whole perspective about the situation that you're facing. Mm. And that's a very important principle to learn. The easiest knee-jerk reaction for any of us who is a believer when something really bad comes our way is, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? Why is that my initial reaction? You know, and then it takes a while for that to kind of calm down, and I realize, well, maybe God has a plan for this, which is, of course, what you're teaching out of Exodus 14. Why do you think that's the case? Well, you're exactly right, Charles. We have to process things. Even the Lord Jesus 
did. Mm-hmm. He, in John chapter 9, he, he said this prayer, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say, Father, to live me from this hour? No, it was for this hour that I came into the world. Father, glorify your mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. So he was processing. He said, I'm facing something awful right now. And I'm prone to say, Lord, get me out of this. Deliver me from this hour. But that isn't what I should pray. I should pray instead, Father, glorify your name. Mm. And the Lord answered him and said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So it's impossible, I think, on this earth for us to never be discouraged or never to be hurt. But we shouldn't stay that way for long. Mm. People of faith should say, well, that's discouraging. That hurts. This is awful. This is terrible. But then we should begin getting ourselves into a place where we look at it from God's perspective and learn to trust him with it. And we begin asking instead of, why is this happening? We should say, Lord, how can you be glorified through what is happening? Mm. You've got 10 rules, 10 strategies for crossing the Red Seas in our life. Number nine struck me as significant. What's number nine? Number nine is view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. At the end of the chapter, it says that because of what they went through, the Israelites learned to trust in God and to trust in Moses, his servant. They had seen what God could do in a way that they'd never seen it before. Now, they had seen the destructive miracles that, you know, fell upon the Egyptians and All of that had given them enough confidence to follow Moses into the wilderness. But now they saw this incredible miracle of deliverance when God parted the seas and they could go through it. They could visually see these walls of water with their own eyes. And you can see the older people straggling along, looking and the children running and the moms and dads carrying the little ones and the carts and the donkeys and the camels and this whole caravan, this parade of people going through there. And when they got to the other side, they had more faith in God than they had before they began because they had seen what he could do. So everything that we experience should be enabling us to trust God more in the future than we have in the past. Our faith should be growing as we go through life. And I think that's one of the lessons we can learn from the parting of the waters of the Red Sea. Mm. As you run a trip back from a Holy Land, leading a Holy Land tour, you were just reading Exodus 14. And out of that crossing over the Atlantic and over Europe, you came up with these notes out of Exodus 14 that became the Red Sea rules. One of those crises that you returned home to was the beginning of your wife's Multiple sclerosis. Having yeah, she was a debilitating illness. She had been having some difficulties, and it was finally diagnosed as multiple sclerosis. So these principles were very encouraging to me. I came home, and I preached a series of sermons on them. You know, that's what happens is when God speaks to us, then my first responsibility was to be a, a preaching pastor at that time. And so I preached this series. We called it God Will Make a Way. And there was a little song that said, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. And Katrina was there in every service. She always critiqued my sermon. She was very honest, very good about it. My wife critiques my sermons when I preach and she hears me anyway. I get to hear how I could have done well, it differently. Well, I know. But... I know. So, so you improve in that way. <laughs> you and, do. Yeah. And out of that, then, I wrote a book 
And it was a full-size trade book, and Katrina and I both went through it. Uh, But then when we were ready to take it to the publisher, our agent at that time said, why don't you put this in a smaller format? It'd be available to more people. That would be available for more people, be easier to carry, easier to pass out. So we we cut about 75% out of it and just reduced it down to the Red Sea Rules. Was a lot thicker than that. It's the gist of the original manuscript. Okay. But I think it's so much better this way because Mm -hmm. it's affordable. People can give it out by the case. We have people that do that all the time. Small groups can study it without a great deal of expense. And it's just the gist of the truth of that chapter is that, uh, as God gave it to me on that day on that airplane trip and then cycled it through my experience and through my sermons and then through the writing of that longer manuscript. So Katrina was a great student of the Bible, mm-hmm. and she was a great encouragement to me, and I miss her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, and she's uh, been gone yeah, about since, two years. Yeah, a little mm-hmm. over two years. Yes. But she's in heaven Yes. She moved out from here and went on to the city, and God promoted mm-hmm. her, mm-hmm. and none of us are very far behind. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I look back with gratitude. I do not mope around about it. You know, we all mourn, but I look back with gratitude. I look forward to excitement in terms of seeing her again, and I don't have any intention of, uh, of sitting around and, and waiting to die. The Lord still has work for me to do. Hmm. So, uh, so I, I hope to occupy until he comes, as hmm. Jesus said. Hmm. The Red Sea rules are not 10 quick and easy steps to instant solutions. In my case, it took quite a while to work through the anguish and achieve a positive result. However, I found that Exodus 14 provides a biblical method to process difficulties by faith in the light of God's almighty presence, providence, promises, and power. The Red Sea may roll before us, the desert may entrap us, the enemy may press on our hills. The past may seem implausible and the future impossible, but God works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way of escape for his weary but waiting children. It says in Isaiah 43, I, the Lord, will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It says in Colossians 4, When you pray, keep alert and be thankful. Be sure to pray that God will make a way. In Isaiah 11, the Lord will utterly make a way to cross on foot. And in 1 Corinthians 10, you can trust God. He will not let you be tested more than you can stand. But when you are tested, he will also make a way out so that you can bear it. No sea is deeper than the ocean of his love. No army is stronger than his hosts, no force greater than his throne of grace, no enemy who can overcome his direct and indirect work in our lives. The reality of the Red Sea, in a word, is this. God will always make a way for his tired yet trusting children, even if he must split the sea to do it. And I'll give you one other word. This is a poem by Paul Gerhardt, the great German pietistic hymnist. Commit whatever grieves thee into the gracious hands of him who never leaves thee, whom heaven and earth commands, who charts the clouds their courses, whom winds and waves obey. He will direct thy footsteps and make for thee a way. Mm. 
I almost always ask anybody I interview, especially when if I'm in person, one last question. So I'll ask you, Rob Morgan, what does Jesus mean to you? It's hard, isn't it, to put that into a sentence. The Apostle Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mm. And that's the simplest motto, I think, of life. To live is to enjoy Christ, to know Christ, to walk with Christ. It is to work for Christ, to labor for Christ. It is to trust Christ, to let the Lord Jesus walk beside you, guide you by the indwelling Holy Spirit to live his life through you. It's, it's not us living the Christian life. It's Jesus living it through us by the Holy Spirit. It's not us talking for the Lord. It's Jesus doing it by the Holy Spirit through us. It's not us working for the Lord. It's Jesus doing it by the Holy Spirit through us. So he is, as the old hymnist used to say, he is my all in all. Mm. Could we just talk to the Lord right now? Would you mind leading us in prayer that from this chapter in Exodus that. that God would use us and lead us more to Jesus. I would love to do that. Our dear Heavenly Father, you made a way for the Israelites when there seemed to be no way. And someone listening today is encompassed by difficulties and surrounded by problems. Their spirits are low. Maybe their hearts are broken or maybe they're just going through a discouraging day and pressing on with dogged faithfulness, but they need an uplift. Father, we pray that you would show us how you make a way when there seems to be no way. We pray that you would lead us in paths of righteousness. You have promised that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And that word all does not include any exceptions, not even today. You've promised that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. So, Father, may we base our joy on the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would teach us that just as you enable the Israelites to go from panic to praise, so you will do the same for us. And if anyone listening needs to receive Christ as Savior, May they open their hearts and embrace him as their Lord. And if any here need a fresh infusion of faith, Lord, remind them that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And will you encourage them today? Encourage us all and guide us. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip us with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rob Morgan. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for letting me be a part of your great ministry. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I'm so thankful for Robert Morgan allowing me to record this conversation at his home a few weeks back. Remember, if you'd like to receive your own copy of the Red Sea Rules, you can get it from us at haventoday.org. That'll be with our thanks for your gift to Haven Ministries. And now, if you want to hear more content like this, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out. Leave us a five-star review. And you can also go to haventoday.org 
and sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Thank you.